Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to continue uh, this morning in our journey through the gospel of, of Luke. <clears throat> we have now been, we have now reached uh, pretty much the uh, halfway point of, of the gospel of Luke. And what I want to show you as we go through this passage this morning, I, I want to show you that it is, um, it stunningly points us back uh, to the very beginning. And you and I hope that you see that I'm not just going to make it up so it kind of fits with Christmas, but I think you'll see how it stunningly points us back to, to, to the very beginning, right? To, to Luke chapter 1 and 2 and 3 where we hear the, the, Christmas, the Christmas story. Uh, from last week's sermon, verses 13 through 21, that passage, we, we've heard Jesus diagnosing for us this, this root of sin of, of, of covetousness, and he does through, does through this parable of the, of the foolish rich man who thought that his prosperity and his abundance was about him and, and for his early retirement to eat, drink, and be merry for the rest of his days. And all he had to do was tear down his barns and build bigger ones that would last him for those days that he thought he had. But he was a fool because he missed the point, the way he used his abundance and riches showed that his heart was not turned toward God or that he treasured God. That's a key word for today, that he treasured God. He treasured his riches. And we know that because he preached to his soul, eat, drink, and be merry when you build the bigger barns. You see, we saw last week that we are not created to find our joy, our identity, our security, our life in what we can possess, in, in what we can hold in our, our hands or put it in our pockets or put in our barns or our sheds and our garages. And, and we, we saw this, that how, how God created all of life and nature to exist, this rhythm that God created for us to to, to live in has been distorted by sin where we now in our hearts find our worth not in creator, the, the creature created by God, but in what we make by our own hands. So this is what Jesus is teaching us from, from last week, and it, and it moves in uh, toward toward this week. It moves in into this text, I, I think, um, very well. These things are, are very linked to us this morning. So there's this kingdom perspective that we started to gain last week. And the kingdom perspective is, is to treat the way that we have our abundance and our prosperity as in, in, in a way and use it in such a way um, that doesn't make much of us, but it makes much of, of, of God. So we have this 10,000-year, this, this eternity perspective on how we look at our, our, our stuff and how we look at our stuff, how we look at our, our money. We can be very preoccupied with those things. But on the other side, and what we're going to address today is, what about if we don't have those things? What if we don't have that kind of prosperity, that kind of abundance? What often happens? 
worry, fear, anxiety. And, and Jesus addresses us right at that. This morning, the sermon is called Don't Worry, It's Christmas. Don't worry, it's Christmas. Let's look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 with me. And he said to his disciples, very important, again, who he's speaking to, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are, are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If, if then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow. They neither toil nor, nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after those things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and, and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and see his inspired inerrant word for his glory and for our joy. Amen. Just in the first reading of that, isn't that encouraging? I hope it has been for you. And reading it just this one time, hearing these words of our Savior, and hearing the, and the, the word of God like a, like a surgeon just kind of cuts right to this infected parts of our lives to where there's this anxiety and fear and worry. Like a surgeon, it, it not only it just exposes it, but it lovingly cuts it out so that we would be healed. Being a father now of six children can be nerve-wracking. And what I mean by that is, is making sure you have them all. You're always doing a tally. But not just that, all the bills go up. Our needs are literally growing before our eyes. Food, clothing, medical, housing, education, training, discipline, affection, love, etc. You all know. Nonstop. You know, I often get the question, and especially before the, the boys were born, I also would often get the question from people who don't know me, and, and they hear that I have four girls. Their question always is, how are you going to pay for those weddings? 
How are you going to pay for this? And, and, and frankly, I'm just going to put it out there. I don't even worry about that. Number one, I have more bridges to burn before I get there. Maybe not burn, cross. How about that? Some of them will be burned. Second, that question assumes that I'm going to have to spend a fortune. That's stupid. And third, third, I'm a pastor. I can do it cheap. <laughs> Only if I let it happen, right? But I get it. There's, there's lots to worry about in this life, and, and that's why this kind of pastoral edification that Jesus gives us is just so good. I mean, you can imagine Jesus knowing, knowing these guys' immediate future and also their distant future, what it's going to look like. I mean, he himself, he, he has taken on flesh and he has dwelt among them and he can sympathize what it means to be human. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be cold. And he sees his disciples and he's like, I know, boys, I know. And here's the good shepherd teaching him, teaching them, drawing them to that reality of how things really are and how things really work, the unseen. The unseen mystery that we can't, we can't comprehend that we can't understand how certain things will be provided and given in the right time. And anxiety and fear and doubt and worry are absolutely real. And we, even as Christians, we are not immune to that. I don't have to tell you that. But this is where Jesus meets us. Worried about food? Are you worried about clothing, life, death? Are you worried? Are you anxious? This passage is for you, beloved. You worried about the next year? You worried about the political climate and the security of our country? You worried about those things? This passage is for you. Are you worried about what might happen next year? Are you, are you worried that you're just in the calm before the storm and that's all that Christmas is right now? This passage is for you. What we hear from Jesus is that we just don't have to, we don't have to live in fear and worry or in bondage. As Christians, Christians who follow Jesus, this Christmas and next year, we can take this truth that we hear today and we can pile on this kindling of God's truth on our hearts and we could pile on this, this truth, the, the wood of, of, of this truth, so that when fear comes, when worry comes, legitimate fears and legitimate worries, when those things come, we can be confident and trusting in him so that we may press forth. Now, if you've been a keen observer throughout Luke chapter 12, you know that fear, worry, doubt have all been a theme throughout chapter 12. And yet in every case, Every case where Jesus addresses the fear of men and the fear in our hearts, legitimate fears, he always points us to the fact that contentment, fearlessness, and courage doesn't come from your own human resources. It doesn't come up from you pulling up your own bootstraps and mustering up your own courage or your own abilities or your own talents. 
but he constantly points us to the truth of the person and nature of who God the Father is and that that Father will be with us. Money can do a lot, but it cannot conquer fear. So I have three points come straight from the text. Don't worry, seek the kingdom, and live free. Number one, don't worry. You see this in verses, the, the big chunk there, right, 22 through 30. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. Look at verses, verse 22. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Why do we fear these things? Why do we, why do we fear and have anxiety and worries in, in uh, this life? And some experience more fear and worry than others, and some have it heightened than others. We're created differently. We have different issues in our, in our lives, in our hearts. We've had different experiences maybe to bring those upon. But in a fallen world, this is the human heart that we fear, that we have anxiety, and that we have worry by nature This is who we are, and underneath it all, underneath it all, the reason why we fear and we have anxiety and we have have worries, even if they're having to do with clothes and food and all those things, because the reality is is we feel this this rhythm that the fallenness has brought to us and brought us out of sync with with the Lord is because we are not in control. And then sin wants us to be in control. Sin wants us to be in control of every little aspect of your life. And fear, anxiety, worry is the, it's the outcome of realizing this thing. It's the manifestation of feeling that. And we've learned different mechanisms in this life, in this world, to cope with it, to suppress those truths. Some people, it's just to buy more stuff or to try to attempt better jobs or different relationships and things like that. But Jesus knows this eternal reality. We are the created. He is the creator. And the, the whole point of this, again, is to reassure his disciples not to worry or be anxious about this life, especially to those basic necessities. Now, in those basic necessities, there's, I, I, I dare to say there's one person in this room that's worried about if they're going to have lunch today. You may be worried about what you're going to eat. If you're at my house, you're always worried about if you're going to have hot dogs on Sunday afternoons. You're not worried about what, uh, that you're not going to get lunch. You're not worried about what your, your clothes. You might be worried about if they're wrinkled, or you might be worried about if they're going to match or, or, or look right, but we're not worried if we're going to have clothes to keep us warm today. Our problems are excess, too much food, not wearing the right kind of clothes. And what people might think of is we wear the wrong kind of clothes. But we still have worry. And anxiety, so those things in this life, they're still pressing in on us. And have you ever had anybody say, and maybe in a trying time, don't worry about it? Don't, don't worry about it? It's a lot easier said than done. I even kind of chalk that up into that category of it's a lot easier said than done. Fears and worries don't subside without a good reason, do they? We, we need something to, to be bigger than those fears and those good reasons. 
when you watch a child learn how to ride a bike, in the beginning, when they first get on the bike, they can easily become terrified. And they're terrified because they're, they're fearing legitimately of falling off the thing and scraping their knee or conking their coconut or something like that. It's real. And then they don't know. They, they, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. There's a fear there. And we feel that in, in, in all those things of the unknown and what we're not control over. So, so what we need to calm uh, our fears and what we do to calm the fears of our, of our children is to let them know why they are safe. Well, learning to ride your bike, yeah, you may fall off, but you're not going to die. <laughs> You'll be okay. We, we need to know why we are really safe. Why those things that, we, that, that worry us are, are really unnecessary. And in fact, that worry is counterproductive to anything that is good. And I think Jesus shows us overwhelmingly here. He doesn't just say, don't worry. But he gives us why not to worry. And he tells us why we are safe. Verse 24 gives us our first point. And that is that God loves us. That God loves us. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens. A rat bird. That's all it is. It's a big rat with wings. Right? Consider the rat bird. Thanks, Jesus. Could have picked something a little more majestic than that. But listen to the point. They neither sow nor reap. Meaning they're not, they're not out there toiling or working for, for their food and their sustenance and their life, right? And they neither have storehouses nor barns. So they're not this, this guy earlier building barns for themselves so that they'll have food later. And yet, what? God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? How much more valuable are you than, than the birds? Well, the point is, is not to necessarily the comparison with the, with the rat bird, but that we are infinitely more valuable than the bird, and yet God still cares and takes care and provides for the rat bird. How much more are we valuable? If God feeds them, why would he let us die and starve? unless it has a point to it, a greater point that satisfies real hunger, real joy. Verse 27, let me show you another point of how God loves us. Consider the lilies. Lilies are pretty, but they're pretty much weeds. They're pretty. Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, meaning they're not making their own clothes. They're not weaving their own, their own clothes. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. We are cared for. We are provided for. Because if, if God is for us, and if God cares and, 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 and considers the lilies and cares for them, and they neither make themselves pretty, and they neither make themselves more glorious and more beautiful than anything that Solomon and all of his riches will do, how much more will God care 
and provide for us. You see, the, the hang-up for us, though, is sometimes because we think God should care for us in a certain way. We think that he should care for us in a certain way, and he's not. But yet God will always care for us and provide for us in the way that we need. Do you hear and see the love of God in that? Why does God do that? Because he's obligated? Does God owe you these things? No, it's love. It's love. This is the even greater evidence of God's love is for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That's the deep, righteous love of God for his people, that he would send his own son, knowing exactly what was going to happen to him, ordaining exactly what would happen to him. For us, for love. And this isn't an impotent love. This is an omnipotent love. A, a love that has its, its roots in the, in, in the cross. And this love is sacrificial. It's more sacrificial than, than any love or any way that we can sacrifice or perceive of sacrificing for our own families and children and friends. You know, the love of God is such a huge point that is completely misunderstood, and we've spent years kind of recorrecting in our own lives some of what the meaning of that, and it's overlooked oftentimes, too, because we've heard it so many times, especially in this culture. God loves you. God loves you. You see it everywhere. It's all over church signs everywhere. It's a wonderful statement, but it, it's, it can be so meaningless and, and small because we've heard it so many times. And, and yeah, we, we, we believe that God loves us, and we've been told that, that God loves us, but, but for some of us in our, in our lives, reality, the way that we kind of live in it out that God loves us is, is that we think that God is just in love with this future version of us, this future version of us that, that sins less and has daily quiet times and, and has learned to play the harp. That that's the version that we think God is in love with. And God is just kind of waiting. And sometimes he's patient. But, but, but if he's like me, man, he's just frustrated. Because, geez, Ben, can't you just get it right? I mean, 24 years you've been a Christian. And, man, you still do that? But the Bible tells us that the love of God is completely different than that. It's not based upon you. It's not based upon what you can earn or what you have done or what you're going to do. The Bible teaches us over and over and over and over and over again that he loves us now, perfectly, completely, fully. Not because of you, because of his grace. And he showed us that love in Christ by sending his son and sending him to the cross. It's the very point of the gospel that you'll never be good enough, that you'll never deserve God's love, but, but God. So if a powerful and loving God has declared his intention and his love to take care of you, is there really anything to be afraid of? No economic shift, no political change, or even our own folly and failures can frustrate God's purposes for our lives.
That's the first bit of evidence that God loves us. Number two, worry does nothing. Look at verse 25. We see this in verses 25 and 26. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about rest? About the rest. And Jesus is literally asking, what's the point? What's the point? If, 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 you're, if you're useless to add to your lifespan through your worry, because that's what we're worried about. We're worried about ex- extending our life through these things. Through the expenditure of your, of, your, uh, of your anxiety, then what's the point? If you can't add one minute, then what's the point? It's what we call a fool's errand. A fool's errand. Nothing valuable comes from worry. Worry and anxiety does nothing. Nothing good. But he says, listen to what worry does do. Worry does this. Number one, worry disables your life. It disables you. Meaning, meaning when, when you're disabled, you, you in a sense are, are uh, particularly in this, you are willingly leaving yourself out of these other things that the Lord has for you. You're disabling yourself through these, through these worry. And worry steals it. It doesn't give life. It steals it. It leaves us debilitated. It, we, we lose so much time because of worry. Worry robs you of, of, of a deeper joy. It worries you of a deeper joy. And only to replace it with a shallow happiness. Worry robs you of a deeper joy. And lastly, and maybe sometimes we, we, we don't see, but the evidence is there is that worry kills kingdom growth. It kills it in your life and it kills it in the church. It kills it in, 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 in your life and then it affects the church because if you are a part of the body and you are, and you are worried, then that one part of the body of Christ is, is unhealthy. And then un, if unhealthy, then the rest of the body is unhealthy. If, if one part is, is hurting, if one part is, is unhealthy, then the rest is unhealthy. It, it, it trickles down. It, it snowballs down into greater problems. Worry kills kingdom growth. It does not achieve the maturity of believers. It does not achieve the growth of the church. Worry, fear, anxiety kills the kingdom growth. So worry does nothing. A little bit more of a minor point compared to God's love, but number three, we see this in verses 29 and 30, that God is committed to his people. God is committed to you. Lovingly committed to you. We see this in verse 29 and 30. It says, Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world would seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So Jesus is making a distinction here, doesn't he? He's making a distinction here in verse 30 that there is God's people... And then there are the nations. And, and what are the nations doing? The nations are, they're restless. They're restless and they're worried and they're fearful and they're, ang- they're anxious and they're worried about protecting and preserving themselves and their stuff and their own interests. 
That's, that's the world. Turn on the news. That's the world. Jesus just said it. This is the way it is. And it's not just new to us because we are more, we're worse than everyone else. No, it's just the same thing. All that turmoil is from this, protecting and preserving your own interests and stuff. That's what the world does. But Christians, there's a difference. The Christians know that there's a difference. They know that, look at the verse again, verse 30. We know that we have a father. We have a father. And this father always what? He always knows what we need. A good father always gives their children exactly what they need and when they need it. Because this good father knows their children There are some good fathers in this room to whom I look up to. Pressure's on. And you are a good father because you know your children. And you have done well to know your children, to take care of their needs and to sacrifice for their needs because you know your children. As you know your children, you also know that a good father knows what not to give their children. When Even if they ask for it, you know not to give it to them because you are a good father. And this is our heavenly father. He knows what we need. And sometimes what we need does not align with what we think we need or what we want. But what Jesus is telling us is that unlike the nations... You have a father, and this father knows. He knows. He knows what you need, and he will give you what you need. He is committed to you. He has promised to help you. It's all over the scripture. Even in the worst of situations in the scripture, in the Old Testament, some of the worst part where God is judging his people, you still see God caring for his people. You still see God committed to his people. He doesn't run. He doesn't abandon ship. He stays with us. He stays with us. If you've been reading through Isaiah, as I have this this Christmas season, you will see that, especially what we've been seeing this last week. That God is committed to his people. And he will make sure that these things are given to you. And in the end, what more could you want? All around us, all around us this Christmas season, people are worried. They are anxious. And you know what? That worry and anxiety for some of them makes sense. And it makes sense because they do not know a father like we know. So if God is so intimately involved in your life to where he even knows the hairs on your head, that passes me up, by the way. I can't, I don't know the hairs of the head on my kids. And he knows everything that we need. What sense does it make to live a life in fear and worry and anxiety? And in the end, doesn't our fear and anxiety over these things, doesn't it reveal a lot about our theology. Not, not the theology we say we believe, but the theology that we live out. And, that, and by the way, that means a lot. 
That means that, that means a lot. So the theology that we are living out, our fears are betraying us because we're saying one thing and our fears are betraying us and showing us a different theology. A different theology of where God is wimpy and God is not sovereign and he's not loving or omnibenevolent, meaning good. In the end, our theology looks more like a functional atheist more than it does a Christian who has a father. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about your pants. God is sovereign. He loves you and he cares for you infinitely more than you will ever know. So when Jesus tells us, don't worry, he has given us some wonderful evidence and wonderful truths, I think, that will build that kindling and that wood around the fire of our hearts to trust and believe that we are safe. Seek the kingdom, point two. Verse 31 Instead, seek his kingdom. I was, I was very creative there, wasn't I, to come up with that point. And these things will be added to you. Replace the worry. So here's the instead of, of worrying and fearing and all things, I don't do nothing. Right? Instead of those things, and, and, and replace that worry in the energy and the time that's spent into doing those things. Instead, then press in and lean into seeking the kingdom of God. Pursue and lean into those things that involve the kingdom of God rather than in these material possessions and the worry of either having them or not having them. The kingdom of God implies there is a king. Seek the king. Wherever the king is, be involved and be a part. Looking back how, how Luke has told us and how we seek the kingdom, number one, we pray for it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for this, for the consummation. This is why Christmas should be and can be so deep for us. Because Christmas isn't just about looking back at the nativity and the incarnation, but it's about how God's people desiring and yearning for Jesus to come back. And this life isn't it. Christmas isn't it. The anticipation that we feel today and, and December 23rd, waiting for December 25th, that anticipation that we feel that's real for it to come is, is kind of meant to show us something. It's meant to show us the anticipation that we are to have for the second coming of Christ. But when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be like December 26th of this letdown. Yearn for the, this, the consummation. Desire. Seek that. Seek the kingdom. Seek the, the blessings of the kingdom of God. For they will be added unto you. What we also see in this passage is God doesn't hold back, does he? He doesn't hold back from us. Everything's on the table. He, he doesn't hold back. He added and is continually adding and continually giving. In fact, look at verse 32. It even gets better. 
I love this verse because I think it's literally for us. I think it's literally for us. Not just for us, but for us. Think about it for us. It says, fear not, little flock. Hmm? We're pretty little. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Good fathers, you know what good pleasure it is to give your children good things. Feel that. Feel that, how the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock, this means that we are a part of the flock of God. We are a part of his kingdom. And being a part of this kingdom means we have a shepherd, God, with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And he gives us the kingdom. He give to give you the kingdom. The past, the present, and the future. He is giving it to us. He is building a people. Little flock, he is building a people. He's building you. He's building me. He's building us together. He's building a people. And when we, when we seek this kingdom, instead of all the other stuff, that kingdom then will be added to us. Not subtracted, but added, built, grown, matured, beautified, made more like Christ. Fear not, little flock, for it is our Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. Here in Statesboro, in this generation, fear not, little flock. The question, though, I had, though, again, was, well, what's the fear again? So we can kind of go back for a second, look at the fear again. What is there to fear? Well, the fear is that we'll be like the nations again, and we'll worry as they do over food and pants. But there's also a fear. There's also a fear, and we definitely can see this coming up in verse 33. The fear of what it might look like if we are obedient. The fear of what it would look like if we are obedient. And that obedience, even if it looks like giving our stuff away, we fear that. And hear Jesus say, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. Fear not. Don't be afraid to seek the kingdom of God. Don't be afraid to be obedient. What is there to fear? Brothers and sisters, I think that this passage applies to us in many ways as a church and as a people. I think we are easily fearful. We're fearful of things. And that fear, again, it kills, it debilitates our growth, our maturity. What are you afraid of in seeking the kingdom of God? What's that fear? Is it a fear that God's not going to care for you? I think Jesus has given us ample evidence that he will care for us. What about when we are knowing and needing to share the gospel with this friend or our coworker or whoever it may be or just happened, it might be just someone you meet at Walmart. And you just have a good kingdom conversation with them. 
And we're fearful of man. We're fearful maybe of our time, of losing our time. Hear the words of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. And that's what verses 33 and 34 are pointing us to. Right? To, to, to live free, to, to not worry or, or fear the unknown and the, and, and the provision. It, it's pointing us to what, it, what this, in one way, in one simple way, what this trust in the Lord looks like. What it, what it looks like, one blaring marker of seeking the kingdom of God and what it looks like. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches or no moth destroys. Everything I own in this world is susceptible to every one of those. They grow old. Moths destroy them. Although we don't have much of a problem with moths in our house. Thieves can steal them. They can fail. Cars break down. But yet, again, back to what we talked about last week. The things that the Lord gives us, we are to use as a marker of who is in us. Of who is in us. And that we are more about the kingdom of God and seeking the kingdom of God than we are about how we treat ourselves in our own possessions. And, and again, if, if it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God, and, and so we can freely and with open hands, with pleasure, give whatever it may require, be required of us. Because we know that we have been given something greater. Our possessions in this life are not meant to be our treasures. Our treasure is the king. And to have more of the king, we seek the kingdom. And, and when we do that, we will have barns and wallets that never grow old. That never grow old. And they will be filled with a treasure that does not fail. I cannot be stolen. I cannot be destroyed. That cannot leave you. You know, the Bible speaks of orphans, widows, and foreigners in over 2,000 verses. Over 2,000 verses in one way or another. Instructions or commands on how to care for them or a correction about how, how God's, are to care, God's people are to care for them. It's, it's one small, practical way, again, to prove that these things are not our treasure. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So fear not, little flock. As the angel told Zechariah, fear not. As the angel told Mary, fear not. As the angels showed up that evening to the shepherds and told them, fear not, but spoke words of joy and comfort into their great fear. Again, it was sensible for them to be afraid. How can this happen? Who am I? 
But God is telling us here, as the angels did, in the same pattern of the good news of great joy, Jesus is telling us this this morning. Good news of great joy. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, and it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. And it is echoing this morning. The good news that that God, who is the frightening judge, who has all the power and authority and, and holiness and righteousness to cast us all into hell, he has shown us great love and care by sending his son, Jesus Christ who came in the flesh to be our substitutionary, atoning sacrifice on the cross. When we trust him, he replaces that anxiety with peace and our fear with joy. So so now, as, as God is our good Father who loves us and gives us good things, providing for us and gives us the, the whole kingdom for his pleasure, you know, I know it's easy On December 23rd, just two days before Christmas, and with so much to do to forget to sit and enjoy the treasure of Jesus this Christmas. We get very much wrapped up, no pun intended, with all the busyness of the season, which which are all good and worthwhile and worth celebrating. But in all of it, we can miss, and worst of all, we can be worried and fearful because of all the needs and all the things that need to be done. I've got to go back a little bit again. I thought of this in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled about many things? But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and that portion will not be taken from her. Brothers and sisters, good news. Jesus, the Christ, has come. It's Christmas. Don't worry. Don't fear. He is Emmanuel. He is with us. He is with you. And we long expectantly, brothers and sisters, he will come back. He will. So don't worry about these things. Trust in the Lord. Do not fear. Do not have anxiety over these things. It's Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word again. Let these truths become real in our hearts. May our lives reflect that we believe in our loving, sovereign Father. that it is his good pleasure, good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, if, if only we should not fear. If only we should not fear. And so we rely on your word. We rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the incarnation. We pray these things in your name. Amen.